Good morning and welcome to our service today. Uh, we're so glad to have you join us as we worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Matt and I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor here at Arendelle Alliance Church. Um, and it's been my, my pleasure to be able to work alongside uh, Pastor Jordan Green, our lead pastor, for the last three weeks. Uh, as you may be aware, and if you aren't, make sure to watch last week's service. It was his installation service, and he has been, in, in these last three weeks, such an amazing person to work with, to work for. Uh, he, is, he has a shepherd heart, and it's been a blessing to work with him, alongside him, and, and be taught by him. And uh, his leadership has been awesome already. I'm so excited. Uh, we as staff are so excited for what the future holds. And we're so excited for you as a church, as you guys, uh, Lord willing, will be able to experience him on a weekly basis uh, on the pulpit as the COVID hopefully starts slowing down or, or we find ways uh, around that. So uh, it's an exciting time. And I just want to give a little shout out uh, just so you know that how we as staff are doing, it's, it's a really exciting time. And we've been blessed in, in the last three weeks. Working left side, Jordan, we've been so blessed and we're so excited for God, where God will take us in the future. Um, I want to start the service by reading a verse from Galatians, Galatians 2 verse 20. It says this, I myself no longer live, no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. So I live my life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The very beginning of that, that verse, I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is such a crucial verse for a Christian walk. I want to invite you today as we go through the service, as we enter a time of prayer and, and worship and then hearing from God's word, that you give up yourself right now to God and allow God to enter in. Allow God to come and shape you and mold you through these different aspects of worship. I invite you to give yourself up totally, completely to God for his use, for his glory. And this, this awesome thing of it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. This, uh, triumphant, this triumphant challenge that we can shout to the world that I don't live, but Christ lives in me. And anything I do that is of good is of Christ. Uh, what a blessing that is. What an amazing verse that is. So be challenged by that verse. Be encouraged by that verse. That's not about you or I, it's about Christ in each of us. So as we go through the service, give up. Give up yourself. Give up your time. Give up your energy. Give up your mind right now and allow Christ to, to work in and through you throughout this worship service. Uh, there's just a couple announcements we have. And the first is that on the end of the month, May 31st, we're going to be partaking communion, an online communion. So just be prepared for that. Uh, maybe grab some, some Welch's grape juice, uh, a little bread, whatever you want to do. But we want it to be in a, a significant time. Uh, even though we're apart, we as a body will partake together. Uh, so uh, be prepared for that as that's only a few weeks away here. Also, um, we are going to be most likely using Zoom uh, for our annual meeting. And that, if you don't know what Zoom is, it's just a way to... I have a video conference call basically. And so what we are looking for, what we need to know is if there's some of you who have no way, no access to Zoom, um, we would like to know that. We, we would like to, to find ways that everyone, all of our members, all those who are involved in, in EAC, 
uh, we'd like to make sure that you can be at our, our annual general meeting. And that's uh, happening June 21st, I believe. So uh, please write away this week, right after, maybe after the service, send an email if you cannot use Zoom, if you have no access to Zoom, um, we, we need to know that. So please send us an email uh, right away. Now those are the only two announcements we have right now. Um, but continue to read through the e-bulletin. There's a lot more stuff in there, a lot of good information and other announcements. Um, so continue to read through that carefully as you don't want to miss anything. Let's now turn to a time of prayer. And again, I invite you uh, to, to pause the video once I'm done praying. I'm just going to open up this time of prayer. And I would love it if you guys would, uh, in your homes, with your families, uh, pray to the Lord God for whatever, uh, whatever comes to your mind. And so let's, let's bow in prayer together. Lord God, we thank you so much for your love for us. Lord, you loved us so much that you sent your own son to die on a cross for our sins. And Lord God, because of that sacrifice, we are able to say it's no longer me that lives, it is you. It's no longer I, but you. What an amazing thing that is to say and help us, Lord God, to say that with a conviction that we proclaim it's no longer I that lives, it's Christ in me. And Lord, I ask that you shape us all to look more and more like your son, to look more and more like Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come to fill our hearts, to fill our minds, our souls, Lord God, to show us areas that we need to confess to you, areas we need to give up to you, and Lord God, encourage us to, to take steps of faith, of obedience uh, for what you are calling us to do. Lord God, I ask that you continue to look after this church, that you continue to look after this building, the staff, the elders, uh, those who serve faithfully in different ministries, and also for our financial stability, Lord God. Thank you so much for the ways in which you have uh, given us our daily needs as a church. Lord, you have done that to us individually and corporately, and we are so blessed by the way you've looked after us. Lord God, we ask you to continue to bless all of our uh, gifts and offerings, Lord God, that we offer up to you during this time, and that you use them in ways that we can't even imagine, that will bring so much glory to you, and that we can just be excited about. So Lord God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'll be doing the Bible reading this morning, and I'll be reading from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us! So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what should happen to him. Good morning, Arendelle Alliance Church family, and those of you joining us online, wherever and whenever you are, welcome to this morning's service. As we begin, I'd like to invite you to bow with us in prayer. Holy God, we ask that you would meet us this morning or this afternoon, or whenever it is that we're joining together for this service. Holy Spirit, we ask that wherever we are, you would come and that you'd fill us, that you'd guide us into all truth, that you would instruct our hearts, and that we would be changed and you would be glorified. We ask as we study your word that your truth would go out, your truth would be received, and that you'd be honored and glorified, and your kingdom advanced, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the beginning of the church, starting in Acts chapter 1, where we saw what happened as the disciples tried to figure out what do we do to replace Judas Iscariot, recognizing that the ministry they've been called to has not stopped, but they were waiting. Last week, we talked about Acts chapter 2, where we see the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to follow along with me as we look at what do the early days of the church begin to look like? What would we expect that Peter and the other apostles would be doing? Now that Jesus has been ascended, now that the Holy Spirit has come, what would we anticipate the early church would be involved in? Well, interestingly, this question is answered for us in a way that initially might surprise us. But here, Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. There's kind of a sense sometimes for us as Christians where we're not sure what do we do with the Old Testament? Where does Old Testament scriptural practice fit with our, our role as New Testament believers? We're now the children of God, but Israel was the children of God. Paul talks about we're the engrafted branches if we're Gentiles. Here we get kind of a glimpse that for the early church, they didn't replace Judaism, but they recognized that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Christ himself said this in the Sermon on the Mount. There were a number of places he would say things like, you've heard it said, and he would quote Torah. And then he'd follow up and say, but I say to you, and he teaches with authority, and the crowds are amazed and, and, and shocked at this teaching because it's so different from the scribes and the Pharisees. But he says at one point, I have come to fulfill, not to abolish the law. And what we see here in Acts chapter 3 is this reminder that for the early church, there isn't this tension between we were Jews and now we're not Jews, but they recognize that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
is the same God for the church as he was for Israel. And there's this continuity. So they're, they're still going to the temple. They're still doing what they did as good men of Jewish faith practice. I also think it's significant that we find Peter and John together. One of the things that intrigues me is throughout the book of Acts, is we're going to study it, we're going to find there's only one significant time in Paul's life, and then we're going to have a little stint also with the evangelist Philip, where we have people doing ministry by themselves. We send out teams. We work in teams. We were never intended to be alone. Just as God saw for the man, it's not good for him to be alone, create a helpmate, and now we have men and women. In ministry, there's also this communal call where we send out teams. And so we find Peter and John, they're going to the temple, they're doing what they have normally done for years. They are being good, holy, righteous Jewish men, recognizing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Well, as they're going to the temple, this is where they encounter our friend, the lame man. And fortunately for most of you, uh, a few of you have had the misfortune of hearing me sing. Most of you have not heard me sing. I will not sing the song, Silver and Gold Have I None. I thought about asking the worship team this week to do it. I thought, ah, it's a great camp song. It's a great kids song. Now and again, as a teacher, I would maybe get a student to come up and demo the song. We know the song, Silver and Gold Have I None, but such as I have, give I thee the name of Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and walking and leaping. This is that story. This is that lame man. As Peter and John approach the temple, they're coming up on one of the main gates, beautiful gates, one of the prominent gates. And they see this man, and the man, he's begging. He's been there for years. And he asks them for money. And I love what's said here. Verse 4, look at us. He's asking people for money, but he's not making eye contact with them. They're not making eye contact with him. How do we treat those that we don't know how to relate with? How do we treat those who maybe life has been unkind to? How would we treat the poor on our streets and the homeless on our streets here in Saskatoon? Not much has changed in 2,000 years. This man is there, he's begging, he's lame. In a culture with no social systems to support him, with no government subsidies to protect him, he is there, he is begging. And when he asks for money, he's not even making eye contact that Peter has to say to him, look at us and get his attention. Anytime I think of this story, I'm, I'm reminded of one of my favorite stories. It's called The Man with the Twisted Lip by Arthur Conan Doyle. It's actually a Sherlock Holmes story where we encounter a beggar who is lame, who's sitting on the street, and he's accused of murdering a rich, uh, a rich gentleman in the city of London. And as the story unfolds, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, as the story unfolds, it turns out the lame begging man is actually the rich man in disguise because he makes more money as a beggar than as he would a gentleman. So we, we suddenly discover there's some interesting tensions here. Does this man actually want to be well? Is he content with his lot? He's not treated necessarily as a human being. People don't make eye contact with him. But there's a potential here, and we've got cases throughout history where, you know, maybe his living wasn't so bad. Look at us, Peter and John say to this lame man. Look at us. So he turns, and Peter says, I do not have silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And I'm struck by two things with this. First off, Peter's very bold directness 
to tell this man what to do, but also this man's seeming faith because he is willing to get up and he gets up and he begins to walk and we get how he now goes on and he leaps and he's excited. He gets what he did not expect. He asks for money, he receives healing. I've got two children. One of my favorite things when there's little people around is watching little people learn to walk. And I remember watching both of my kids where they get up and they toddle a couple of steps across the floor and then fall and they land on their backside and they kind of look at you. And if you don't react like it's, you know, or if you pretend like it's really awesome what just happened, they're, they're all excited. If you're horrified, then they cry. And they get up and they walk and take a couple more steps and fall down a couple more. This man never even learns to walk. We go straight from never walking to running and leaping. Because this miracle is not just the restoration of his limbs. The miracle is a, is a much greater miracle than a simple restoring of a limb. But did you notice the tension of the question this text raises? In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. That, that's very straightforward for us. We understand in Jesus' name, we're invoking Jesus himself. His name represents who he is. But this man's been at the beautiful gate for years begging. We're only weeks, possibly months, from the crucifixion and the resurrection. We're only weeks or months from Jesus himself coming to the temple. And yet this man was not healed. I'm reminded in John chapter 9, verse 11, Jesus is asked at one point when he goes to heal a man, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus counters back and says, that, that's not what's going on here. This is for the glory of God. And interestingly, I would suggest with this lame man, he was not healed in the ministry of Jesus. Would Jesus have walked past him? We're not told Jesus used the beautiful gate, but Jesus was often at the temple. Beautiful gate's a prominent gate, but it's a big city. This man had not been healed for those years of Jesus coming and going, but now in Jesus' name, he's healed. Because God in his grace and mercy saw fit that this was the time, this was the place to bring glory to God, to advance the kingdom, and to bless this man who does not just get his limbs restored, but is now restored to full health and gets to skip all of the learning how to walk challenges. Get up and walk. In Isaiah 35, verse 6, we read, Then the lame will leap like a deer. And this is reminiscent of what we're now at Solomon's call not. It's part of the temple complex. We have a lame man leaping like a deer. What was prophesied through Isaiah is now fulfilled in this man. This miracle, as the tongue's gift in chapter 2 did, brings the crowds in and creates an opportunity for Peter to explain what is going on. What is it that has just happened here? And why has it happened? And so our first scene is this healing of this lame man who has been there for years, who would be recognized. That miracle of his healing is going to be undeniable. He wasn't even looking for healing, and yet in Jesus' name, he's restored. Peter now goes on and explains, this is what's going on. While he, he that is the lame man, was holding on to Peter and John, and all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in Solomon's colonnade. Peter, seeing this, addresses the people, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over to death. Sorry, you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one 
and asked to have a murder released to you, you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him perfect health in front of you all. And so Peter is now able to take the miracle. And just as we talked about last week, the miracles serve as a touch point. They serve as a mark that what is taught is authentic. They get the crowd's attention and people are brought in. But the miracle is not the point. The miracle gives validation and certainty to the words that are taught. So when Peter says, this is how and why this happened, the people can know this is true. The lame now walks, therefore, Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. It is in Jesus' name this man was healed. There is power in Jesus' name, and we know it because we see the miracle. The miracle is the means to the ends. The ends is that people would be introduced to Jesus Christ. God did the work. The apostles do not claim any of their own authority. In fact, repeatedly in Acts, we're going to see times where the crowd wants to worship them. And they'll say, we are just mere men. We're just servants like you are. Even angels, we're just mere men. We're just servants. We'll save the discussion of Herod, who when worshipped as God, receives it. We'll, We'll save that conversation for another time. It's a little bit of an icky story. God did the work. The apostles are only the instruments for what has happened. And Peter here, he establishes who Jesus is, even according to the history of Israel. Just as we said at the start, Peter and John going to the temple is reflective that we have not redone a whole new religion, but Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Peter now makes that even clearer. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And this is part of where our Trinity theology will begin to emerge as we figure out who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God? What's it mean for him to be the Son of God? If he's the Son of God, it means he is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God who was there in the beginning. Let us make man in our own image, God says in Genesis chapter 1. And so Peter's establishing for us that there's no new God here. Peter's establishing the Old Testament is relevant. Peter's establishing who God revealed himself in the past is who God is now. But he's making himself more fully known. I love verse 15. You killed the source of life or you killed the author of life. And a few times Luke will record something similar. Stephen will make a similar charge in chapter 7. And that that paradoxical irony, the one who gives life is the one that we kill because our sin is that terrible. Not just our sin of denying him as a race, not just the sin of him being handed over to death, but the seriousness of sin, that sin demands that blood be shed. That's the penalty of sin. And Jesus' willingness to come and pay it for us. And again, just as we needed a witness in Acts chapter 1 to replace Judas, who could be there from the baptism of John all the way to the resurrection, who could say, yes, I saw these things and these things are true. Again, Peter says, we are witnesses. Verse 15, we are witnesses of all of this. And so they are able to say, Jesus did all of these things. Jesus is powerful. Jesus has now healed this man, and Jesus is alive. Well, for our our last section, verses 17 to 26, he goes on, and he points out, Scripture must be fulfilled. 
the cross was not a surprise to God. And we live in a season, and I don't know how you find it, but there's certain surprises I like and there's certain surprises I don't like. For my wife's birthday a number of years ago, we made the decision, uh, myself with some of my, my fellow staff members at the other campus, we were going to celebrate her birthday. And the only proper way to do it was we would invite the entire student body over for a surprise birthday party. And I actually had a cake made and it, it filled a, a table typical to what you'd see in a library, had it set out. We invited a hundred and some Bible college students and all the staff and one of the staff wives helped conspire against her. And I was really excited to do this, and, and it was a big celebration. Part of me was a little concerned, though, because sometimes surprises don't go the way that we want them to. Sometimes a surprise, sometimes what's intended for someone's blessing can be traumatic. We live in a world of surprises. I don't, you know, December, I don't think anyone was thinking we would be living in the circumstances we're living in. God's not surprised. Moses prophesied, there will be a prophet like me, and when he comes, you must do everything he says. This goes back to Deuteronomy 18. And there's an interesting twist in Deuteronomy 18 because there's a whole series of prophets. Samuel's the next one, and in fact, Paul quotes, sorry, Peter here quotes from Samuel. And Peter will talk about some of the other prophets as well. Isaiah gets quoted so often, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, the book of the 12 will be cited. Jesus himself says the sign of the prophet Jonah. There's a sense many prophets are coming, but Moses holds out this idea in Deuteronomy 18, there's a special prophet coming. One like me, just as Moses said, here is how you are to live. Here is what God expects of you to be in right relationship with him. Jesus then comes and in the Sermon on the Mount says, you've heard it said, quotes Moses. And then he says, but I say to you, and he makes Moses harder. Do not kill, but I say to you, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister, do not take an oath, do not divorce, do not commit adultery. How we are to pray, how we are to fast, where we store up our treasures. Moses talked to many of these things, but Jesus comes and makes it about the heart attitude. Moses made it about how we act. Jesus makes it about why we act. The one like me, Moses warns that this prophet is coming. Deuteronomy 18, 14 to 22. And in fact, here Peter quotes him. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. When Moses prophesied this prophet, it was too small a thing that it would just be a prophet that would come. Because we talk about Jesus being prophet, priest, and king, that, that threefold office that Christ himself holds. Christ is the fulfillment of so many Old Testament prophecies. Moses, Samuel, uh, Isaiah has more messianic prophecies than I can possibly comprehend. Ezekiel, the sign of Jonah. The book of Joel that we talked about last week being fulfilled. All of these find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ because God's plan was before the foundations of the world. The plan of salvation, the plan of redemption, God knowing that we would sin, still created us anyway, wanting us to have a relationship with him, but wanting us to be holy. 
his righteousness, demanding that we be holy. So not only does he create us knowing we would fall, but then he creates the way. He creates the blood that would be shed, that we might be forgiven, creates that means by which we can be saved. He ends off, all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring because there is a recurring theme, not only in what Peter says, but what Jesus said in the gospels and then what Paul will pick up on. Salvation is first to the Jew and then to the ends of the earth. God's intention was not to have one people, the Jews, but they they would be the first and they would be that blessing for all peoples of the earth. All the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring because God did not intend one people. In fact, in uh, Paul's letters, he talks about the mystery of Christ that's now made known. And when he's talking about that, sometimes he's very explicit. He says, the mystery is that God in Christ Jesus has brought Jew and Gentile together and made for himself a people out of these two distinct peoples. This plan of salvation was from the foundations of the world and is for all men. So what do we do with this? How do we live this out? I want to suggest a couple of things. First off, there's a clear reminder here in Acts chapter 3. There is power in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is God. And when you invoke his name, you invoke him. This is why communion is so significant. This is why baptism is so important. This is why when we pray a blessing over people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is, a, this is powerful because we're inviting the living God to do these things. When we do ministry in Jesus' name, we do it on his behalf. We are his hands, we are his feet, and he is alive and he is powerful. But Acts 3 also reminds us, he's the one who's in control. This will get picked up in other places as well, but we can slip into this mindset that if we say things right or if we do things just right, God will act a certain way. Clear message throughout scripture. God does what God wants. We are the servants being faithful to his agenda. We are the servants being faithful to his call. He is the one who prompts. He's the one who leads. He's the one who guides. And we are the servants who are obedient and who are faithful to the task entrusted to us. And in Acts 3, as Peter and John say to this man, in the name of Jesus, get up. It's not their power. It's not their authority. It's God's power for God's glory. It's Christ's name invoked to bring glory to Jesus Christ on his terms and in his way. The fact that this man was not healed during Jesus' ministry, I think is very significant because it does kind of suggest he was left there for a reason to show that the work of Christ is not completed. We are now picking up the mantle. Christ has entrusted us this ongoing ministry in the world and he works through us because we're not powerful enough. We're not God but he is. And when we're faithful and obedient, he works through us. For some, we need to recognize and accept Christ's authority in our lives. I like to ask believers, have you accept Jesus the Savior or Jesus the Lord? And I'm aware theologically, you know, some, some get a little concerned, like, what do you, you say? My, my point with this is, we love the forgiveness aspect of Jesus, but that is too small a thing. Because Acts 3 reminds us, not only is Jesus the Savior who loves all of us, but he is powerful. He is holy. And so as believers in Jesus, we not only need to have our sins forgiven, we need to bend our knee to Christ Jesus. We need to surrender to his will. For some of us, sometimes we need to be reminded it's not our plans. 
I, I have all kinds of ideas. I've got an opinion on everything. I'm always thinking about, well, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. Texts like this force me to come back and be reminded again. I can have all the plans I want, but it is Christ who will get his way. Do we recognize his work in and through us? Have we bent the knee to his lordship? Are we listening to his voice to lead us and guide us? I want to remind us also, we need to be witnesses of the truth of Christ. One of the things I've really been pondering in this COVID series, and we've actually been talking about as as elders and especially as staff here, we had staff meeting the other day, as, as some of our programs have been put on hold because we cannot meet together, a heavy burden on my soul. The gospel mandate has not changed. The gospel has to go out. Jesus Christ has to be preached to the ends of the earth. He works in us and through us. We're his hands and his feet. He's called us to be his ambassadors to the world. With COVID on, we have to figure out how to do this. What is it Jesus is saying this season? But we have to keep going. And if it means we're not meeting in person, if it means we're videotaping sermons on a Wednesday morning in front of a video camera, if it means we're doing Zoom meetings with people in different places, the means are not what is important here. The ends is what is important. The name of Jesus must be proclaimed in the world. Because people are still dying. People are still being born. The kingdom needs to go out. And so I'm going to invite us as a church, we need to prayerfully ask Christ in this COVID season, how do we keep doing this mandate? Peter and John, they're going to the temple to pray. This was not an evangelistic trip. They're not on a missions trip. They're going about their daily, good, holy, righteous lives. And now they're doing ministry because that's what ministry is. It's just being Jesus' hands and feet in the moment he gives us. How do we proclaim the gospel to the world around us in a season where we have social distancing and all of these challenges? I don't know. If you have ideas, please contact me. We're praying this through. We're inviting the Spirit of God to guide us. What do we do? But this this desperate need to take the gospel to the ends of the earth does not change. And it's not just for missionaries. It's for us. It's for the city of Saskatoon. I'm loving being in Saskatoon. I haven't lived in a city in years and, and walking through the malls, uh, or, or, or driving past the stores, rather. I'm not walking through the malls right now because nothing's open. But you drive past and you're seeing people. And I see people walking past my home. And I had to, uh, I had to go run an errand the other day. And driving past Canadian Tire and seeing all the cars there and realizing, we've got all these people around us. Are they hearing the truth of the gospel? So we've got some serious challenges, but as I say, we can't go to the malls, we can't go to the marketplaces. How are we going to do this? We need to be asking God to guide us in this. And actually, a third very uncomfortable question for us as we close. How do we treat the lame today? Be them literal or figurative lame? Because here we have this, this man who's sitting at the beautiful gate, and when he asks for money, he's not even making eye contact. I've been involved in some inner city ministries over the years. And one of the really shaping moments for me in life, I was on East Hastings Street in Vancouver in 2012, I believe it was. I was on Ride 2012. Some of you are aware of this this Alliance initiative where we were doing fundraising for inner city church works. I got to go to the East Hastings Church. And it was the night that uh, government checks were being issued. And so everyone was out and it was about nine o'clock at night. The pastor was getting set up there and it was so profound to me. The pastor was actually in tears. They said, tonight's the night that government checks come out. I hate tonight because I don't know which of my friends will die. 
because that was the night where everybody had money and some of their friends would go and they would buy drugs and overdose and they would die in the night. And walking down East Hastings and the challenges that that represented, it forced me to ask some hard questions in my own soul. How do I handle people who are different? How how do I handle uh, people who think differently than I do or look differently than I do or who are uh, maybe physically different? How do we see those that God loves that don't fit our mold? One final story, one of my very favorite moments, and I'll tell different stories at times about my daughter and her illness, but uh, my daughter was about six years old. It was right around, I think, her sixth birthday, actually, and she was in treatment. She's a leukemia survivor, and she was in the phase of treatment where she was bald. She had no immune system, and we were at actually at RUH in the pediatric ward. She was in for some treatment and, and couldn't be home. Uh, there were some concerns. But our daily ritual is we would gown her up and we would put a mask on her, kind of like what we do with COVID and gloves and boots. And we would go kind of shuffling around the hospital a little bit. And we would take our pilgrimage to the uh, chip dispensing machine and she'd get her bag of, uh, I believe it was all dressed chips. And then we would pilgrimage back to her isolation room. And it was quite a, quite a process to, to get her re- ready. She's not really supposed to be wandering the hospital because she's got no immune system. But we walk out of Peds. And she's six years old, so she's just tiny. She's on chemotherapy. She looks like death warmed over. Her color's funny. She's masked. We come around the corner, and uh, the Peds ICU is just opposite. And there was a gentleman there with his three-year-old son, and his wife had just given birth, and there was complications. We come around the corner, and this three-year-old catches sight of my daughter. And his eyes went the size of dinner place. And he stands up on the couch, points at Catherine, and screams, What did you do to your kid? And I looked at this poor father whose face said, I wish the earth would swallow me whole right now. And Catherine shuffled over. She had her IV pole and she shuffles over and she, in her six-year-old way, just, it's okay, I have leukemia. And she starts explaining this three-year-old that it's for her protection, nothing's wrong. And I went over, I'm visiting with the dad who's, he's having a tough day already. And, 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 just that moment of, of utter parental horror at, at the honesty of your three-year-old. What did you do to your kid? How do we see people who are different? Watching my daughter with that, that three-year-old will, is one of my cherished life memories, coming alongside and saying, you don't need to be afraid, and making herself human. What do we do with those that society is forgetting? How do we love those who seem to be forgotten? Look at us, Peter and John say. Do we make them human again? Power of Christ on Christ's terms for his glory. We are witnesses of Christ. And will we see those that society is ignoring? Would you bow with me in prayer? Holy God, we thank you for Acts chapter 3, for the power that you give to Peter and John, that in your name they can say to this man, in the name of Christ, rise up and walk. Thank you for this lame man's willingness to try. And thank you for the miracle of his healing. Lord, use us to bring healing to this world, physical and spiritual. Give us eyes to see those that the world is ignoring, that you love and that you died for, who might feel invisible. Show us how to love them. And in this season where we know the gospel must be preached, show us how to do it when the world is so complex and there's so many questions. Lord, for each one of us this morning, would you challenge us with the question, 
Are you Lord of our life? Are we members of your kingdom? Are we witnesses because of the work you've done in our own souls that Jesus Christ is alive, he is powerful, and he brings forgiveness if we will repent and we will turn from our sin? Lord, thank you for our time in the word. Thank you for your work in us. And holy God, be glorified and guide us, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Good morning and welcome to our service today. Uh, for those of you who don't know, oops, and when you get to be with as a group together, in whatever format you're, you're we're just glad that, you're, that we can be uh, as we find cures or whatever, it, 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 uh, 